Uncle Owen! It's R2 unit has a bad motivator, look! Having trouble with your drug? Your drug? These two droids. Both are hard working and will serve you well. Droid. 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 We serve their kind here. You're listening to We Serve Droids, your favorite monthly Star Wars podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Chris. And we are here to wrap up our long, slow roll through the coverage of The Mandalorian. Been a long time coming, eagerly awaited. We're only, what, six, eight months behind <laughs> when it aired? Are we closer to the release of uh, Season 2 than we were to the finish of Season <laughs> oh, 1? I, I hope so. <laughs> if only because I can't really want to wait another half a year for it to come out. So, yeah, we are going to chat tonight about the exciting conclusion to Season 1, Chapter 8. And then we're going to just kind of think about the series as a whole and our thoughts about it, what we liked about it, etc. So, what do you say for our little bit of uh, banter fodder? We <laughs> talk about just some of our favorite stuff from The Mandalorian as a, as a Season 1. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's dive in. Bounty Hunters. We don't need that scum. Bounty hunting, a complicated profession. All right. I was wondering, Chris, if you could possibly rank, like, top three characters, right? We've done so many of these kinds of ranking stuff with the movies, but now that we have this whole, you know, eight-episode TV series to pick from, do you have a top one or top three characters you could rank? Ooh. I mean, I think feel like number one slot has to go to the Mandalorian. The the titular Mandalorian. <laughs> um, Anonymous Mandalorian uh, from yes. chapter three. <laughs> yes. The one that John Favreau voiced, that guy. <laughs> Thumbs up Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. So it's really just a, f- a slight fight for two and three. Uh gut 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 reaction from two, I'm gonna go IG eleven. Um fan favorite there i think even though it wasn't really in but two episodes absolutely um three spot i think i gotta go cara dune yeah i think my favorite character is cara dune yeah i mean it's not a bad choice honestly and then i think that my second favorite one might have been quill uh yeah and then uh number three for me Gosh, now that you said IG-11, that really... I guess I'll stick with what I wrote down, and I'm going to go with Werner, Herz- Werner Herzog. Yeah, Quill and Herzog would have rounded out my my top five, I think. Yeah, and same with me with, with IG-11 and Mando. Um, definitely a surfeit of riches to pick from from this show. I mean, it's just... I don't know, I'm trying to think of any characters I just completely just didn't like for non-thematic reasons. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, so you picked Mando number one, or as you learn in this episode, I've already forgotten his name. Oh, um, uh, Din Djarin. I, I think like Moff Gideon had to like write their names down on his hand uh, when he was calling them out. We'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit. He's obviously better at this than we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel like you got to see behind the mask? Like, do you feel like you really got to know him as a character? Season one, I mean, a, a decent amount, and it's, I mean, it's very subtle. I mean, really anything you kind of get out of him. I mean, I think we've gotten our 
maybe our first peak here. And I think there's still a lot more to, I mean, to flesh out, honestly. You know, you get those glimpses, you know, during those flashbacks and stuff like that. But you know, a lot of it's really kind of, I mean, up to you. That's often more fun. That's kind of what I was curious about. Because, you know, you can love a character because you feel like you know them really well. And you can also love a character because they're really mysterious, right? Both both work in television. I was just curious which way you felt or a little of both in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's I'd say he's definitely more mysterious. I mean, we don't even, you know, know his name, see his face until this episode. Spoiler alert. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's, I mean, he was, you know, I mean, I feel like I would have still ranked him, you know, as that interesting nonetheless. The Mandalorian is filled with a lot of fun callbacks to other Star Wars material. And, of course, we've chatted about some of these in, in other episodes. But I wonder if you just had, like, a favorite or most fun favorite kind of callback. And this is actually, you know, I put this question out on Twitter and on the Facebook group. On the Facebook group, DeVore mentioned a few things. Uh, the first one he mentioned was Kara being from Alderaan. We chatted some about that last time. And I definitely, I love that that backstory for her. That's a lot of fun. I'm still down to make our uh, our inglorious bastards of Alderaan, you know, soldiers TV series. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then on Twitter, Michael Condon, who's at Two Med Two on Twitter and has a YouTube channel, he just answered Chapter Five, which is pretty funny since <laughs> that, that whole episode is just one big callback. Yeah, yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> For me, I don't know. This was the little stuff that got me. Just those little, you know, details you notice. I think the biggest one that jumped out at me because I was I was actively looking for it. I guess was I think I had just found out about the um like the the actual numbering on like in then uh Moss Eisley and like the docking bays like that stylized ninety four you see in A New Hope. I'd never noticed that, and then you know I think I just happened to watch that Mandalorian episode a couple days later, and I was like, oh, I like I wonder if it's there, and like you, you just it's one of those small things that you know maybe not that many people will notice, but. It just kind of gives you, a, I don't know, a little bit of a reassurance maybe into like the level of detail that they're really going into and it's getting all these like maybe seemingly inconsequential things right. For me, if I had to pick something really small, I think I'd pick the ice cream machine, the ice cream maker that Herzog keeps the Nazi gold in. That's a real fun one. You know, it's all the little, like all the, you know, the background characters, like some of the background droids, you know, the the slight tweaks to things that you just kind of see. Well, I guess we'll talk about one here in a little bit. That's not really much of a slight tweak, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that guy who has the, um, who's the Moss Eisley snitch, the guy that he's like, you know, he, he runs like the taxi stand on chapter one. Ice taxi ice. Yeah. 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 And then this is not really a favorite, but maybe more par for the, we serve droids course. I was curious, like, what fictional character you think it would have been fun to run into in The Mandalorian? Just outside of Star Wars fictional character? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess my question had, like, <laughs> the uh, the presupposition that Star Wars characters are real. <laughs> <laughs> They're real to me, Scott. They're real to me. <laughs> so, outside of the Star Wars universe, who would have been fun to, to have snuck in like, you know, E.T. is famously in the Galactic oh, yeah. Senate. <laughs> yes. I guess given his hatred of all things droids, I think having like a like a Terminator or something show up would be pretty fun. I'll be back. I'll be back. She'll be back. I'm back. Yeah. And you could also go like the uh, 
opposite end of the spectrum there and have like Johnny Five or some some just like annoying robot show up. <laughs> it struck me today that, and this is also sort of our brand, there are a lot of bars in this show. Because <laughs> there's the one on the ice planet where he uses the door to cut that guy in half. Yeah, with the doors without safety mechanisms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you shoot an object, it, it automatically kills people. Yeah, like they're, it's, they're, they're like windows from like a 1970s sedan. Those things are going up where the, you know, <laughs> that switch is hit. It doesn't, doesn't matter what's what appendage or whatever's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the kid trying to jump over the sensor as the garage door comes down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's... There's no like like you know, like laser beam on the bottom. <laughs> you, don't, you don't make it. You don't make it. Sorry, kid. Uh, so that's one. There's the one where we meet Carl Weathers. Yep. That's two. Uh, the 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 bone broth bar. Oh yeah, on acoustic village planet. That's three. Tatooine. Oh yeah, Moss Eisley Cantina, and then where where Herzog sets up shop in, in chapter seven and eight. I think that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's five five bars in the five, show. Five, five for eight. Right. <laughs> so, I was going to think about, like, good fictional barkeeps. And I think, did you ever watch Deadwood? No, I haven't. To my uh, shame. Okay, so Al Swearingen runs the bar in Deadwood. And I think he'd be a lot of fun in, in The Mandalorian. So, what do you say we jump on our speeder bikes and head over to Mandalorian Chapter 8? Sounds good, Scott. Look, sir. What have we here? Look, sir. Oh, what a mess. With the glass shield down, I can't even see. Look, sir. These aren't the droids you're looking for. We're back on these scout troopers who have freshly killed our buddy Quill and kidnapped the the infant babe Yoda. I felt for sure like you're you know you're in for like a little bit of a, a down note you know after following that, but <laughs> but instead we get like clerks <laughs> scout trooper edition. Exactly. Do you know that uh, one of these guys is played by Jason Sudeikis? I, I knew there were two people that I think I'd heard like scuttlebutt about them being two fairly well-known people. But I could not place their voices in, in like actually watching the uh, the scene. Mm-hmm. So, so is the other guy famous at all? He's in something, but I don't okay. remember. I mean, I mostly know Sudeikis from his SNL days playing mm. um, like Mitt Romney. Yeah. Which Mitt Romney Scout Trooper would not have been very funny at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's got binders full of baby Yodas. <laughs> I don't know. Any thoughts about this whole Scout Trooper scene? I mean, I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to lie. Just the the whole, like, you know, the back and forth with the guy on comms and, like, Moff Gideon just murdering, like, increasingly more people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so I have a question. Is that first, like, info that he's murdering people, is that him blowing up Herzog? Or is that other... It's hard to tell. That That's that's the way I took it. Like, he just took out, you know, like, Herzog and whatever else. But I'm guessing he... I'm, I'm not sure if... Like, I wasn't sure if the officer was also in talking about Herzog or if he was... There's someone else he actually murdered, too. I don't know. Maybe this is me being overly critical. I felt like the... Him trying to shoot the can... I felt like they already made that joke in the Con Air episode. I guess it's item item one in the Star Wars trope Bible. Stormtroopers can't hit anything. That means that God came down from heaven and stopped the bullets? That's right. That's exactly what it means. God came down from heaven and stopped these motherfucking bullets. 
I mean, I'm, I'm willing to forgive it that. I, I enjoy just the, the the chatter we get here. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, I mean, you get like a little taste of it, like on, I think, episode four, or like right after I think Ben distracts him, like next to those guys when he's shutting down the uh, the tractor beam. Have you seen the new P-16s? Yeah, guy. exactly. Yeah, these are like the more like us version. These are like the dumber yeah. versions of those guys, though. <laughs> yeah, probably. The, we're, the, we're not Death Star material, Scott. We're... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're backwater speeder bike guys. <laughs> right. There's a reason we were like kept far away from the actual action mm-hmm. and survived this late. Yeah. <laughs> See, the good guys, they just get mowed down first thing. <laughs> you want to be in the back. No why that was actually my like granddad's fo- grandfather's philosophy in World War II. <laughs> I mean, he's not. That's, that's why you're here, Scott. <laughs> so I'm so thankful. <laughs> Yeah, so they're having lots of fun punching our, our favorite child and, and yeah. goofing off and and who shows up but uh Chris's second favorite Mandalorian character, IG eleven. <laughs> uh this is so great. I, lo- I love that they're um the uh they're just, you know, pointing guns at him at this point after not being able to, <laughs> to hit like a stationary object, you know, five feet from <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, the I was always a little bit alarmed by the sec like when IG kills the first stormtrooper, that makes a little bit of sense. But the second guy just sits there and watches it happen. Breaks the other guy like into the speeder bike. I'm gonna say I, I didn't think I needed to needed to see like an IG unit riding a speeder bike in my life, but man, I, I didn't know what I was missing. That is fun. Uh he is just going through the streets of this lousy town and with mm. extreme precision. It's fun getting that shot where he kills the two stormtroopers and leaves the Jawa alone. Yeah. Right? We know it's not uh, it's, not the Mandalorian firing the gun. Yeah, if it was Mando, you'd, there'd be like half a beat and then like another shot would come for the Jawa. <laughs> the two stormtroopers would fall over and then the Jawa would get disintegrated. Yeah. <laughs> it made me think like, man, the Trade Federation really stunk at making battle droids. <laughs> The one IG-11 is way better than an entire squadron of my best battle yes, droids. An, an entire legion of my best battle droids. Yeah. He makes quick work getting in there and meets up with our heroes. Uh, well, no, I guess... Yeah, and they cut back to the bar for a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of cutting back to the bar, Chris, <laughs> can I tell you about what I plan to be drinking tonight? Medium dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred. 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 Shake, stir. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lily. Shake it over rice and then have a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. Oh, you got a, you got a nice libation going to <laughs> mark the conclusion, conclusion of our shared narrative. Right. So in our last episode, we had vowed that this would be the drink. That it would be a libation to celebrate the conclusion of our shared narrative. And after struggling for a long time what that could be, I realized that if it's a celebration, right, uh, it's got to be champagne, sparkling wine-based. Mm-hmm. The circuitous route I got to this drink is one thing I'd never done but was aware of is that Ernest Hemingway was sort of a fan of mixing absinthe with uh, sparkling wine. And I had a bottle of absinthe from a a previous cocktail of ours. You know, I'm more familiar with absinthe from a Sazerac. Mm. And so I wondered if there was some way to combine a sparkling wine with the sort of basis of a Sazerac. And Hemingway beat you to the punch. (laughs) As he often does. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to write the middle-aged man in the sea, but, you know, <laughs> the basic idea had already been done. I mean, typically, I, I try to, usually, I try to experiment before, when we both do, whenever, whenever one of us gets assigned with it, we usually try to experiment a little bit with the idea uh, before bringing it to, to our listeners. But using a sparkling wine sort of makes that a more difficult proposition, right? Because, like, you open it and you've, you've got sort of a, I mean, it's a time bomb at that point. I was a bit leery when you when you mentioned this because I was like, man, I, this could either be, I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of middle ground for this one. <laughs> Yeah, it's either going to be good or bad. So what I've decided is I am I have all the ingredients set out before me. And so what I'm going to do is in uh, classic Sazerac fashion, I'm going to take my champagne flute and I'm going to coat it with a little bit of absinthe here. Kind of swirl it around the sides. Discard. Now my office will smell like licorice for the rest of my life. And uh, instead of sugar, because I didn't want to, like, mix the uh, sparkling wine, I'm just going to add, like, a half a teaspoon of simple syrup. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling very so dinner in a movie right now. <laughs> she watched that on TBS back in the day? Uh, that was a great show. Beans and cornbread. <laughs> I think that's what... Was that the song? <laughs> I think you must remember it better than I do. I was going to say, how, how, how dry do you think is your... Uh... Your your wine of choice that you're going to be adding? Uh oh gosh, I'm I'm such a not knowledgeable person. So I, I bought a prosecco, and I usually mm. buy like the I do the thing where you like don't get the cheapest, but then you get mm. something in the next category up. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think it's probably mi- probably middle of the road, but I didn't want to overdo the sweetness in it, and so I'm just gonna pop this bad boy open right here. Oh, nice. That sounded great. Death in our listeners. I should have turned the gain down before doing that. Um, also should have not done this over the computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to add a couple drops of Peychaud's to the, the, the simple syrup. All right. I'm going to add what I'm guessing is somewhere around four to five ounces of the sparkling wine. And I'm going to garnish a little tiny slice of lemon peel. Some people with the Sazerac throw the peel in. Some people just, you know, kind of squeeze it and discard. All right, I have no idea what's about to happen. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. I kind of like it okay. I actually just now finished my first one. I, I quite enjoyed it. So I did, um, my prep was mostly the same. I, I just did, like, the bit where you, like, I actually did do a sugar cube. Mm-hmm. Did, did the thing, like, where you pour the, um, pour the absinthe over it. Of course, it never dissolves completely, so I just dumped the rest in there and kind of muddled it up. And I ended up using like a sparkling riesling, which was a it was on the drier side, so it wasn't. I love wasn't, a dry riesling. Yeah, it wasn't terribly sweet, so I think you know the um the whole cube the the, the whole cube was it was a good call, and then just the like a couple of dashes of bitters, and it all it kind of uh it balanced everything out quite nicely. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'd, I'd make this again. All right, yeah. So back to the bar. You know, we cut back and have a bit of conversation about escaping, and we learn the Imperials are setting up the dreaded E-Web blaster, Scott. Ah, this is so much fun. Is this the same cannon that the snowtroopers are putting together on Hoth? I think so. Because it, it, I mean, I I remember having like a like a toy, or at least knowing there was a toy that existed of like a Hoth snowtrooper with like this. Like the, I remember E-Web. I, I remember that quite quite vividly. I love how everyone, everyone like, like it has a reputation, and of course, 
Moff Gideon gives us a nice rundown of how it is impacted everyone's lives. Yeah, that's fun. I love how Gideon does the like really nefarious thing of over-explaining the situation. Yes. Something about that is very arch. Yes, he is. I, I just wrote down he has ominous precision about about all of this. Ah, that's that's a beautiful way to put it. Even Carlo Esposito can just he can do this so well. Uh, this is so such a treat watching this. He is great. I love that line where uh, Carl Weathers asks, "What assurances do we have?" <laughs> and his response is, "You don't." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll do whatever is in my self interest. Exactly. <laughs> like like you know, I will do what is in my most interest. That means if you don't come out, I'm definitely going to mow you all down. Yeah, he's a very, uh, I guess in the in the D&D alignment, try to be very lawful evil. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, and then I guess we get the background that Moff Gideon is like some kind of war criminal who maybe had like a, a proxy get hanged at Nuremberg. Yeah, so I, I, just, I, just, I just wrote down, so who was executed then? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this would be a fun Better Call Saul prequel series for the Mando. <laughs> is uh, Moff Gideon, like, hiding in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, just very, um, oh. Mengele. Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann, that's yeah, the one, yeah. yeah. The banality of, of Gideon. But yeah, he, we get, he did give me, like, a very, like, like that kind of vibe, like a, you know, like someone who was, like, the governor general of, like, an occupied country or something like that who was just doing just horrible, horrible stuff. And then, of course, we get Mando's backstory. What did you think about yeah. this whole thing? I mean, we get, like, a little tease, you know, like, he's... I mean, we've gotten, you know, tastes of the, the flashback before. I think this is, I guess, our, our most complete look at it. So, I mean, we know, we know why he hates droids. Yeah, we see, like, the whole the whole sequence here, like, the uh, the massacre happening and then, you know, the like, the Mandalorians coming in here. I, I didn't, wasn't, I guess, didn't think or wasn't aware that the Mandalorians were kind of in the, uh, in the mix here in terms of being galaxy freedom fighters, that kind of thing. Here's my question about the whole backstory video. Why... Do Mando's parents not jump in that hole with him? I mean, it's certainly big enough for all three of them. Right. Um, maybe they're hoping the killbots reach their preset kill limit before <laughs> before they find him. Right. I think that's it. So uh, it's a pretty fun look when the first stormtroopers hear like the the oh, yeah. the mayhem happening. Yeah, the distant explosions. This is some pretty crazy combat that ensues from this point forward i mean yeah it's a lot of fun i i thought initially that the uh i guess the first time i saw that the speeder bike took out the e-web and and man am i glad it didn't you like seeing mando grab it and just start mowing people down yeah he goes like full uh jesse ventura and predator just with the uh like the minigun speaking of when that thing does eventually blow up why wasn't cara dune and mando's plan not just to blow up the e-web just to shoot the the box. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a closely guarded Imperial secret that if you just shoot it, it, it blows up. Right. I don't like that it has this like rather rather fatal Achilles heel. Yeah. It really like it really deflated my E Web Big Willow vibe. <laughs> Maybe you can only shoot it from the uh from the back or Moff Gideon's the only one who knows about it. He he had everyone else killed. I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts about this fight scene? I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's nice to you know get this because I mean they're in you know an, an impossible situation up to this point. They they have no escape. Wondering how they're going to get out of this, and I don't feel like it was you know everything was just swept aside. You know, they're still in a in a bad spot. Do you remember playing GoldenEye sixty four? 
and that awful level where you had to protect the scientist. Uh, the, the old escort mission. Yes. Yeah. And there's like nothing to hide behind. And you basically just had to like stand in front of the scientist and just take the hits for him or yeah. her. I can't remember. And that's like, I don't know. It reminded me of this because I, it took me a little bit out of, out of it. Like a, it sort of damaged my suspension of disbelief that everyone was just out in the open. You know, when you have a hundred to one gunfight, yeah, and you're not even hiding behind anything. I get Mando; he's got the armor, but everyone else, like Carl Weathers, is out there, pistols spinning and stuff. The last episode was so wonderfully directed, and this one I felt like it just took me out of it to see them in the middle of you know a hundred people. I mean, I don't know if the trick is still if it's still a stormtroopers can't aim joke. But if it is, then that deflates the whole tension. I don't know if, if yeah, did, did, did that was that a problem for you or is it just me? I mean, you're not wrong. Carl Weathers is really the only one out there who can't really take a hit, and yeah, it is a little bit just silly to see him just kind of duck and dodge there. I don't take IG Eleven to be like he's not made of mithril or whatever, uh, yeah. whatever the Nazi gold is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he takes a few hits, but yeah, he is yeah also not invulnerable. But, I mean, he's more believable running around out there than Carl Weathers just kind of running around hoping he gets shot in that one spot again where, where, where he's got the, the brick hid. So, yeah, I don't know. This this scene, it, it it that handicaps this episode a little bit for me. But, right, they, they drag all blown to smithereens Mandalorian back inside. Mm-hmm. We get the fun order to smoke them out or fire them out or, or whatever Moff Gideon oh, says. Burn them out. <laughs> that's that's his go-to that's his go-to uh answer to every situation <laughs> is there a name for this kind of uh i assume it's like flame trooper is there a name for this kind of guy i think you're absolutely right i think they're um oh there might be in the uh battlefront video game as as this guy i think i think that's i don't know if one one spawned the other exactly but i think he is called a flame trooper I love his his armor is so cool. His, his armor does what it says in the box. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. You think like it's standard issue for flamethrowers to do that, or he just did it himself? Oh, I like that idea. He's like you know they get to gets to draw flames on his armor or customize it. I mean, those those guys got to have like a really low uh, really low life expectancy. <laughs> it did seem a little reckless for Gideon to send send this guy in to where baby Yoda was. Yeah, that, that crossed my mind too. Yeah, you can't really count on him not getting burned to death. Yeah, I just thought he would not have wanted a barbecued baby Yoda. But we get Yoda doing a little force trick uh, for the second episode in a row. And I love that at both times they've not come at like the climax of the episode. Mm-hmm. I think that's been fun to have him use the force, right? At Star Wars, you want that kind of stuff. But it doesn't become like a total deus ex machina if he doesn't do it at the biggest moment. I think that's been really smart for the writing. Yeah, agreed. And, of course, the stakes get pretty high, and it's starting to look like our our hero's not going to make it. But luckily, IG-11 has this little neti pot he can use to to cure our now maskless hero. So, Scott, I'm curious. You you famously... um I guess conned the wife into watching a show with Pedro Pascal. Was was she still watching at this point? And when and then if so, was the payoff worth it for finally? Yeah, she was. She was, and I think this is 
if you have promised to Pedro Pascal and this is what you deliver, I mean, this is like ordering a pizza and it comes in cold, right? <laughs> like, I'm sure it tasted good when it was made. <laughs> but, but this Pascal has been sitting in the car while the driver, like, stopped for a smoke break. <laughs> yeah. It feels like this was supposed to be a really big moment, and you get the sort of touching line from IG-11 that I'm not a living thing, or I forget exactly how he says. What? How did this moment work for you? I mean, it it hit it hit landed for me. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't too drawn out. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have any complaints about it. I mean, aside from Pedro Pascal not looking like like Ober and Martel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's just been mostly exploded. He's looking like a post post mountain fight over in Martell. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least that's not what they delivered to my wife. His head did not go the way of a a Gallagher watermelon. But yeah, a couple beats later, Mando's back up on his feet, and we're we're down in the uh, the tunnels. There is no escape from the fortress of the moles. Lava sewers of yes. <laughs> of um, <laughs> oh, crap, Los Angeles County. <laughs> I've forgotten the name too. <laughs> Navarro. Thank you. Uh. Yeah, the the lava river has a bit of like an L.A. river kind of feel to it as well. I think both are about as uh, as drinkable. <laughs> so, right, they go down here, and it turns out this is some kind of like Mandalorian elephant graveyard. I'm I'm still a little fuzzy on what what all the armor being down there means. This was a big question I also wanted to ask. Okay, so we may have no answers here. <laughs> I couldn't figure out the timeline of this. It made it seem like oh they exposed themselves when they all came out. But there was, like, an army of them. I'm not sure if they just, you know, like, ditched it and, you know, got out of Dodge, you know, on the down low or, or what. I mean, some of the helmets have, like, you know, damage on them in the, the facial region that would have been fatal. Yeah. Are we led to believe that Herzog's, like, dirty troopers did this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so much buying that. I can't either. They can't even clean their own armor. There's no way they take out an entire legion of me best mandos. And, uh, you know, he accuses Carl Weathers here of, you know, doing it as well, which I'm, you know, also not buying. Yeah, Weathers already sent all his dudes after Mando, and these guys beat him back. It could be the kind of thing where they got, they started getting picked off one at a time, and the armorer has now, like, brought all the, you know, she's been collecting all the steel. I don't know, I had a hard time believing that everyone, all these people, all these Mandos were gunned down in one way or another. The way they leave in chapter three, I didn't see how this was a possibility. And this is something I actually, I wish I knew more about how television in today's age was written and shot. Because this is the kind of thing that I feel like I see all the time where things happen in the early of just, you know, an eight or ten episode season. And then by the end, it seems like, Something's been left out or taken kind of a left turn. And I felt like that was the case here. I just couldn't figure out how all these Mandos got taken out, given what we saw in the first three episodes. It Mm. just made no sense to me. So, I don't know. I mean, I'd invite any of our listeners to help us out if you could write into WeServeDroids at gmail.com and explain this, how this is supposed to make sense. You better have those units from the South Lanes repaired by midday or they'll be held at you in hell, you in hell, you in hell.
we do get reunited here with the old uh, armorer. You know, we really should love the armorer for wearing a fur coat. That's kind of also our brand. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> doubly so for working with uh, working with like a forge yeah. with like a such a flammable item. <laughs> she is more committed to the fur the fur jacket than we are. So, what do you think about about this uh, this scene here, where where the armorer is is sort of explaining the situation to our our merry merry band of travelers? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy we get to see the armorer again. You know, even if it's and under maybe slightly silly pretenses here. And, you know, Mando finally gets his, his sigil. Um, she does not do a great job of explaining what the hell is going on with all the Mandalorian armor, <laughs> admittedly. Yeah, I like how she kind of explains the uh, Mando's obligations here with the, as far as the child's concerned. I was holding out hope for a little bit that when she was talking about, like, the child being a foundling, that, all right, we're going to get, like, a, a baby Yoda Mandalorian here in a, in a few decades <laughs> or whenever it grows up. No, not meant to be. I was I was wondering if uh you know at some point, you know, if real quick Carl Weathers is gonna volunteer that, that last bar of uh of Beskar there to give Land Mando his last um <laughs> was it, leg pauldron or whatever the one piece of armor he still needs is. Yeah, not happening. Is, yeah, it is tantalizingly incomplete still. And yeah, there's like, there's no way Carl Weathers is giving that thing up. His cold <laughs> dead hands. That thing's bought him more drinks than it's worth. <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, you know, Mando gets the uh, maybe even more hotly anticipated than that final piece of uh, leg armor here gets his uh, his jetpack. Yeah, I want to I want to take a second on the sigil oh, yeah. part. I guess there's a pause here because, again, I, I really like this mudhorn. Mm hmm. I don't know how it didn't like emotionally pay off to me and like, oh, it's the mudhorn. You know, I kind of wondered like. Is the sig- sig- sigil signet? You know, I wonder, like, is it going to be, like, Yoda-shaped? And I guess, in hindsight, it's cool that it's something that they, like, teamed up on, like you said, to make them the, the clan of two. Yeah. Uh, but also, I just, I really love that that mud horn. You know, like, those, like, Pleistocene, like, megafauna? Woolly mammoths and that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is this thing that's called kind of like a Siberian unicorn, and its its actual name oh. is an Elasmotherium. I think I know what you're talking about, actually. And it, it turns out, like, uh, I think the that must have been, like, a an inspiration for the Mudhorn. Because I saw a picture recently of, like, a, you know, where they made a model of one. And I, I was looking for it and couldn't find that picture. Um, but it was, like, scary how much it looked like the Mudhorn. And how did you think it just, like, looks? Like, Mandalorians are supposed to look cool. Like, did you think it, right? I mean, like, famously, Boba Fett has the Mandalorian skull. Do you think this, like, is it have that kind of cool factor? Yeah, I I think it does. Um, it's I mean it's it's reminiscent of the um the uh sort of the skull shape of the Mandalorian one. Yeah, I mean I think it was a nice payoff. Um, I'd be curious. Like, surely someone has like now has a tattoo of this thing on their own shoulder, right? Oh, absolutely. I I want to know to any We Serve Droids listeners, uh, any We Serve Droid fans, I want you to send us a picture of your Mudhorn tat signet tattoo. <laughs> What do you call a We Serve Droids fan? I feel like that, that should have a name. Ooh. Um, I mean, we famously give the fur jacket, so I think the term furries, has has that been taken? <laughs> no, I think, I think that hasn't been taken. I'm, I'm willing to take it back if you want to start that campaign. 
for, furry uh, um, reappropriation. Yeah. <laughs> I want all of our listeners to, to proudly declare that they're furries and, and hope the internet understands what they're talking about. If there's one thing the internet is, it's understanding, Scott. <laughs> so yeah, show us those mudhorn tattoos, internet. We want to see them. I think it's cool. I would love to have like a little like pin. Like I need to go to like oh, uh yeah. uh Etsy and, and and order like a mudhorn pin for my backpack or something. Oh yeah, be prepared for that that cease and desist or something. <laughs> Anyone selling Etsy pins and anything vaguely Mandalorian related? Uh, you cannot shut down Etsy crafters. They they are uh, what's the the mythological creature oh, that sprouts two uh, heads? The Hydra. Yes, they are the yeah. Hydra of old. If you strike one down, she becomes more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So you had mentioned Boba Fett having like the Mandalorian sigil on there, mm-hmm. but I think he's considered like a like a poser in the Mandalorian community. <laughs> when you take the like main thing as yours, yeah, exactly. I think really, so. Uh, not not really maybe uh, strictly speaking a Mandalorian. There was a a thing in in the Clone Wars. I think someone claims that Jango Fett wasn't really a Mandalorian. And people I mean, have taken this as so. gospel, but I think it's open to interpretation that that guy could just like want to disassociate him from them. I mean, I, his, his helmet off policy, if anything, kind of nixes his his Mandalorian creds in my book. Yeah, the helmet policy thing seems to be a a, a late coming uh, development in in Mandalorian culture. Po- Post fall of Mandalore kind of thing. Yeah, because I mean, all through Clone Wars and and Rebels, they are pulling those helmets off no problem. Oh, okay, I, gotcha. I have a bit of a theory about this. I think it's like maybe a. Um, so there's been some kind of like great dispersal of of Mandalorians, right? That we kind of learn about, and I wonder if it's one of those like, how can we sing? Uh, <laughs> what's it from the Psalms? Like, how can we sing the 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 prayers of God in a in a strange land or something? You know, oh, okay. we weep by the waters of Babylon, kind of thing. I like that idea. And so I wonder if it's a thing that you just can't take it off, or if it's like a this is a thing that we refuse to do until, like, we reclaim our home world or home worlds or something like that. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. I, I'm totally making this up. It's probably not that, but it would be a fun by the rivers of Navarro we sat and wept. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, that's the way it is now in my book. That is, that is officially headcanon. I like how the armorer is such a, a video game character. What are you buying? Here, receive some supplies and your upgrades. Right. Please fill fill out your skill tree here before you <laughs> yeah. continue on. Would you like to save your game? Right. She only exists like in her shop. Like yes. you know, when the stormtroopers roll up, she's like. <laughs> it's one of those like things you have to like you have to go through like a loading screen whenever you want to get to her <laughs> shop, and it's just like uh you leave and then you forgot to do something. So you got to go through the whole process again. Right. <laughs> You accidentally say the wrong thing, and you've got to start the whole conversation with her all over again. <laughs> like like that owl from, from Ocarina. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it makes me think that she is going to have to show up again, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. They, Much like your video game shopkeeper, she'll just randomly be on another planet with roughly the same shop. Yes. <laughs> that forge is more portable than it looks. So uh, she gets into a pretty brutal fight scene. Yeah, wow, just, uh, whew, 
N- never go after the uh, the the guy or gal who's just been using a hammer nonstop. <laughs> I'll say that for the <laughs> last God knows how long. Yeah, the part where she is just kind of like breaking their like you see the armor kind of yeah. crunch, almost like clay. Yeah, and you get these uh like some shards flying off of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool effect mm-hmm. that we've not seen in like killing. We've seen a lot of killing stormtroopers yeah, in our time, and that's the thing that we'd not seen. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, even even Ewok logs weren't uh weren't cracking that armor just like that. <laughs> and then of course one guy's got to go in the forge. That's I mean that, that's that's a given. It was calling out to her the way that the. Uh, Monster meth was calling out to Mando <laughs> in Acoustic Village. So yeah, I'll, I'll call that a stone cold lock. We will we will see the armorer again. So, but of course, uh, our our band they get down to the, the back the to lava the lava river, river right? Yeah. And they've got to ride this gondola by Mutant R two D two. Yes. I, I uh, the payoff here was so great. You just you got like the droid in the back, and it's like covered in creosote or, or whatever. <laughs> and you just think it's just like an R two droid, just just hanging out in the back driving the thing. And of course they they blast it free, and uh, the payoff here uh, it's so good. I like I like oh it's so, so cute. Ah! Uh, God, <laughs> kill it, kill it. <laughs> Why does it have arms and feet? Given given R two D 2s love of hidden features, I wouldn't surprise me at all if he just had this in his pocket the entire time. He was actually arm two feet two. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so they go down the river, and of course we get a really wonderful scene when we get uh, Chris's second favorite character, IG Elevens. This 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 is what really solidified as number two slot in in my book right here. Yeah, so take us through the scene, how, how you thought, what you think about well, it. Well, real quick before, um, we, we have to bid like a, a very quick goodbye to our, our newest droid friend here when yeah. uh, they're trying to stop the boat and they just shoot it. Karen just <laughs> shoots the droid. The we told head. it to stop one time, better kill yeah. it. <laughs> it's like, I, I'd expect that behavior from, from Mando. <laughs> but, right? But yeah, so one droid down, one to go here. And uh, yeah, I, IG uh, his his logic is flawless here. There's there's not a scenario in which he survives. Therefore, he must he must eliminate the enemy. This is is really great. Do you remember way back? I think it was in our review of chapter four. I had complained that this show was copying a lot of franchises that I liked. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they were copying it in a way that lacked some of the emotional punch of the originals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I feel like. I mean, right? I mean, you know exactly what I'm going to say. This is is identical to. If you don't, I'll I, Scott. I, I know now why you cry. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it clearly copies T2, but I think it does it in a way that that totally. Like now that we're at the end of the series. We have this emotional attachment to IG-11, especially mm-hmm. after Chapter 7. Yeah. And I think that it this totally delivers um, not just an homage to T2, but all the emotion you could have wanted in T2, you get here. Um, I don't know what, what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 T2 with an explosion. Because it, it could have easily been, like, cheesy. You know, it could have easily been, like... Yeah, yeah. They, they are they are walking a really fine line here. Because, I mean, the, the character is already, like, a bit of maybe comic relief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I felt it was very well executed. And I know we say these episodes move fairly, uh, you know, quickly and efficiently. But this was, you know, a bit of a moment that I felt like needed the, the time they gave it. I think there's nothing left for us to do, Chris, but to each of us, you know, give a slow rising thumbs up. Yes. In honor of our favorite bounty droid. <laughs> here, here. Hey, hey, they wanna wonga. They wanna wonga. They wanna wanna wonga. They wanna let go. So IG-11, he's able to blow up the group, and they're mm-hmm. they're almost free. But our our new favorite villain is flying around his cool TIE fighter, gunning down our heroes. What do you think about this scene? I love the, uh, just the, sort of the targeting sound effects we get when we get, where we, they catch Gideon in the cockpit from, like, uh, episode four, classic TIE fighter sounds. It would have been very easy to overuse the, uh, the jetpack having just gotten it, but I think it, this was, this was done very nicely. I absolutely agree. He doesn't, like, you know, Iron Man around. Yeah. It doesn't turn into a whole thing. He shoots up. He lassos the um, the Tie Fighter. He kind of surfs behind it like that kid from Telspin used to do. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow, good, good, good reference there. Really great way to to finish that bit of action. Moff Gus has just enough time to realize that um, Mando Salamanca has has got some some <laughs> nefarious <laughs> nefarious deeds afoot. He crashes, right? We'll get our little Marvel cutscene later. And uh, did you think that the gang was going to split up here, or did you think they were going to stick it out? I mean, I thought at least, you know, Mando and the the child would be off. I did not peg uh, uh, Cara Dune for sticking around with Carl Weathers here, but yeah, it looks like that's going to be the case. Yeah, I guess they kind of set up a little bit with, you know, he can take care of her bounty, maybe. You know, I was sort of asking about thoughts of this episode on the, the Facebook group, and listener Kyle said that in this episode he thought they were building to the formation of an A-team group. Oh, that'd be great. But he said once once IG-11, you know, went, the dream was dashed, he said. I don't know how or if it would be in this at all satisfying way, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to a, an IG-11 reappearance, but um, it would very much cheapen what we've just seen here. I will say that. On the other hand, I think the character is so popular that I'm not sure they could, if they'll be able to let it be or not. And then we get our little pre-credits Marvel scene. Yeah, exactly. We're uh, we're seeing the uh, the influence here of uh, other Disney properties. Yeah. Well, John Favreau too. He's he's dipped his toes in both pools. I think it's pretty fun here. Gideon coming out with the dark saber. Was this a thing that you were familiar of, of its existence when you saw it? Yeah, I, I actually happen to be familiar with, with, with this. I had seen, I think at least some of the relative episodes of the clone wars way back when. So yeah, this was, this was a nice payoff. Cause I mean, it's pretty instantly recognizable. There's really nothing else quite like it. I really, I like the effect here. I think it kind of translated well to uh live action. Uh, my, my only disappointment is he didn't hack down a couple of Jawas that were standing right there when he got out, but hey, nothing's perfect. Jabbed one when it first went through, and then the other two scattered. Yeah. <laughs> that could have been fun. His TIE fighter was just lousy with Jawas. 
Yeah, that wreck's not even cold, and they're out there <laughs> stripping it for parts. But but yeah, like I knew, I think I knew like the implications. Like this was some kind of uh, you know something he would have probably gotten during his occupation of Mandalore. I'm guessing something like that. Like it's got a lot of a lot of you know connections to the the Mandalorian people, and definitely something that's you know I could see him having in his possession. So again, a bit with like sort of Nazi stolen artwork kind of continued motif going with us. Yeah, exactly. Before we move on to the series as a whole, I've got to ask you, Caress, was there some conspicuous character that you'd like to give a fur jacket to? I live for furs. I worship furs. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives it? Oh, please, won't you see my vest? I would. We don't. We didn't have a ton to work with in this episode, really. Um, I know we've probably said that before, but I'm gonna give it to uh, our old friend, the Gondola Bot. <laughs> I mean, he is so conspicuous. I, I can't look away. I cannot look away. It's it's a great recipient because it happens, and they don't. They resist the urge to luxur- luxuriate on it, right? Like it happens, and it's more yeah. like in your memory. He looks like he is something that would have been in a Miyazaki movie. Yes, exactly. That's his very, very strong Miyazaki vibes. Yeah, he would be like toting around Howl's Moving Castle. You could drop him in there and <laughs> no one would be the wiser. Uh, so from, I'm with you. I I'd actually like, so I watched it for this and then I thought, crap, who do I give the fur jacket to? And I had to sort of like fast forward through it again, like through the scenes where I thought there might be a recipient. And I considered giving it to that second scout trooper who just watches his buddy get killed without doing anything. <laughs> yeah. There's also in the big in the big battle scene, there's some pretty fun stormtrooper deaths. Some guys that get shot and like do like backflips when they get shot. At minute 15, second 50, we're in the bar where they're all holed up. They're ready to start guns a blazing. And I didn't yeah. notice this the first, like, two or three times I watched it. But before mm. he runs out, Carl Butters, oh, like, yeah. grabs a glass yeah. and takes a shot. Yeah, uh, that's, that's such a great, great, great detail. Yes, good call. I, had, I, I mean, I think it's supposed to be obvious, but it just slipped my notice a few times. I assume it was written in, but I like to imagine that Carl Weathers improvised this. Yeah, I, it, I think there's a bit of a stuff, because he starts pouring himself a drink, I think, in, like, a... A quick scene previous, and yeah, you get that quick payoff. It's yeah, blinking, you miss it. Yeah, I don't know. So thoughts about the series as a whole? We've we've gushed about it thus far, but I mean, that's it was it was a nice surprise. Like I, I, you know, you say Star Wars, and then if you like plot like my excitement on a graph, like Star Wars, and like it's going up, then TV series, and it just tends to plummet because I, you know, that can be a lot of uh, a lot of room for mediocrity there. But I mean, I'm I'm glad that you know they've kind of made this their sort of flagship series to launch, you know, Disney Plus, and it's getting the, I guess, creative and you know, monetary attention that it needs. And I think it's I think it's really paid off. I mean, I'm sure it's uh, successful by you know any metric they're measuring it against. Really, absolutely. It's arguably the best Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars thing we got out of 2019. Oh well, yeah, no arguing about that. <laughs> yeah, it's. So, I mean, in a in a year with a very, uh, let's say, let's say maybe disappointing conclusion. Sure. Yeah, it was a nice bright ray of sunshine. I was a big fan. I think, I mean, I'm sure I've said this before. I was a big fan of the overall outline of the series. 
And I hope that's something that continues that, you know, sort of like a little bit of an arc at the start and then arc at the end and then a series of bottle episodes in the middle. I think it's just a fun way to do something like this. Mm, yeah, the bottle ones gave you like a really, you know, wide latitude to, you know, explore, you know, really whatever without having to feel like you have to continue on through like a whole season arc story. Yeah, do you ever miss that in the like sort of age of prestige television? Yeah, I mean a little bit. I mean it's it's you don't really see I guess Deep Space Nine where the like, Star Trek started, you know, they got from being like, you know, little one episodes to like the bigger like Dominion plot and stuff like that. Yeah, that that episode was really, you know, or that series really was, you know, a evolution of the whole TV genre, really. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's nice to have, you know, the the time to, you know, really delve into like a, you know, a plot that's really, you know, unsuitable for a movie, that kind of thing. But th- yeah, there is something to be said for just having the, you know, nice tight one episode storylines. Yeah, it just gives you the freedom to do something fun. You know, like, could we have possibly gotten the jaw? You know, like, we, we, we could just spend a whole episode doing a weird, like, video game quest to to get your ship parts back from the Jawas. Yeah, exactly. You, just, you, don't, you don't have to carry around, like, the burden of the, the season's plot, you know, with you through, you know, the every every single episode and feel like you have to suitably advance it and enough to where it's, you know, you feel like the audience, that you feel like the audience maybe needs every every time they tune in that kind of thing do you think the show took any missteps anything where you say like yeah i love this but this was kind of meh i mean nothing major i mean this the a few things we've mentioned here and there you know some some sillier moments with um plot armor and everything you know behind the scenes like the set design and um you know the cinematography and i mean all, all the you know nuts and bolts of it are you know feel really lovingly uh put together i mean you can it just you can tell that some some time effort and you know care was was put into this nothing glaring i mean i'm i'm probably willing to forgive it a lot at this point like season two has a has a has a, has a lot of lee, leeway a lot of a lot of goodwill built up in my book <laughs> i mean this in a just conversationally like i don't i don't i don't know how to take this critic how to exactly form this criticism please, please don't kill me internet please don't kill me <laughs> I think, like, so, I mean, I loved this. This this was great. It's not one of my all-time favorite television shows. It's up there. It's, yeah. it's like, tier two for me. It's, like, there's the the tier of, like, my all-time favorite stuff, and then this is, like, the next rung. So, like, I guess in your tier one, like, it has, you know, probably the, those, 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 um, like, big, like, plot-driven, you know, prestige shows like you're you're breaking bad your your wire you know stuff like that i'm guessing yeah and also i mean also silly stuff like next generation and you know probably half a dozen animes that i really liked and yeah i mean it's i mean i enjoy the subject matter but here's here's a quick question do you feel like it being star wars enhanced or prevented it from getting to to a higher tier because I, I I literally just started thinking about that myself, and I'm 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 a little torn. I'm not sure. I think it enhanced it because of so much of what I love was, had to do with this, right? Like and I mentioned that sort of callback motif. There was so much like you know like how much we loved the end of Rogue One because it showed us that side of Vader we'd always wanted to see. Like if you're a casual Star Wars fan, you thought like, oh yeah, I'd like to see Darth Vader do some cool stuff, but. You know, if you're like us, you're like, 
man, what would it have looked like to see IG-88? And we, we got that, you know? Or, like, and even stuff I never even, like, thought to ask. Like, what would it be like cruising around the inside of the sand crawler? And we got that, and that was really cool. That's that's a those are really good points. See, we we get these we get these peeks into things that yeah you've you're aware of, but yeah you've never really got to stick your stick anything more than a toe into so far. What holds it back for me, and I, I do think there was a bit of like that's the thing about blockbusters today is if you're spending you know you're making a big blockbuster, you say this thing has to sell tickets on every country in the planet. Yes, to to every every uh, you know demographic of person. Absolutely, as well. And, yeah, and so you you end up. I, mean, I don't mean to say lowest common denominator in a super pejorative way, but you got to appeal to everyone. And I think that this being the thing that was going to carry Disney Plus had to do that too. And I think it knocks that out of the park. Like with that being its goal, it is an absolute success. And, and it still gives you the extras. Like you cannot be a star. You if you're if you're a casual viewer, you know, like my spouse, you love it. If you're like us, you love it. But what separates this from the shows that I that, that I go back and you know just love to think think about and rewatch is that my favorite shows all explore you know maybe deeper ideas or philosophical theses mm-hmm. in a way that. And I'd mentioned how I thought Chapter 7 starts to do this a little bit in a way that the rest of the show really didn't. And there's not a lot of, like, exploring, like, ideas in this show. Yeah, that's true. In a way that this is so much better made than the Battlestar Galactica reboot. But the Battlestar Galactica reboot was, like, very interested in a lot of ideas. Yeah, which I guess with this, it it couldn't really afford to you know, do that with it being maybe potentially upsetting to a lot of viewers, depending on the the subject matter. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you there. Right. Or, or not a, you know, that the cultural context where it's an interesting thing for, you know, Americans to consider might not be an interesting thing for people in, you know, Denmark or China to consider. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not making that claim, but it, it might be the case for all I know. So, would you would you agree that maybe anything that has to have this wide of general appeal general appeal is inherently going to be maybe second tier at best that kind of thing like it's and, and like the the compromise for playing it safe is that it can't ever it's it's I mean exceedingly hard to get to top tier. I think this is proof of concept of that because I don't think this could have been done better. Yeah, like I think this is as good as that gets, and it's it's on the cusp of top tier for me. But the shows that I most love. You know, I, I love it when, like, say, you know, a character embodies a certain, you know, I don't want a show necessarily to be preachy, but I like it when, say, multiple characters embody different theses, and then the plot of the show is a construction to let not just the characters interact, but the theses to interact as well. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, again, like, they, they, they were not aiming that for this, and, and, and and maybe if they had done it, they would have done a crap job. Like you know, we yeah. might be lucky that they didn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Like it's it could it it could always be worse. It's not necessarily going to be better. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, in a sense, they played it safe, uh, and in a sense, not. They spent a bunch of money and and did a lot of other stuff. So I I don't 
I mean this criticism in the, in the softest, gentlest way, just to say, like, there's part of me that would love to maybe one day have a, a Star Wars show that does that and does it well. But all that said, I don't, I, I hesitate to say I wish this one did it because it so easily could have done it badly when what it did, it did so well. I mean, if anything, this thing's success will, would, is probably your, your better bet of actually getting that down the road. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, can we get some spinoff that does it? Yeah, it's probably the more likely thing. Yeah, I can. I could definitely see them throwing more money at you know maybe some 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 stories. I'm sorry, or some, some series that maybe you you know are more interested in watching, and you know maybe some stuff maybe less than as well. But trying to get that maybe that sort of Netflix appeal with your wide range of you know varying series there, that kind of deal. So, any thoughts about season two or questions about season two? Uh let's see. Only I think I've I've heard about some some characters coming in. I've heard that uh is it Rosario Darson? I'm sorry, Rosario Dawson, is that right? That's gonna be yeah. playing Ahsoka in season That's two. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so you get the I guess the inaugural, you know, debut of that and then like a in a you know, an actual person playing a character. Yeah, so any of our viewers who didn't follow Clone Wars or Rebels this is a, a major character, like a major character in Clone Wars, and then who comes to be a big character in, in Rebels, spoiler alert, and is very, I think, I think fair to say, like a very beloved character amongst like the, the hardcore Star Wars fans out there. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I remember just, you know, when Clone Wars was, I guess, getting going, like, man, like this is going to be an awkward situation down the road because you, you know what happens to all the Jedi. <laughs> so I, I, I from, from what I understand, they've skirted that fairly well, but yeah, uh, but you know, we've got our first, I guess, our first Star Wars character that went from, that kind of went in the opposite direction, went from, I guess, CGI or animated to, to real here. I think Maybe. so. I think, I I mean, best I can remember, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's something, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's been something else, but. The anti-Tarkin. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> from CGI to human. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've heard some other names that have gotten picked up for season two, but I'm not not as familiar with uh, those people. Is there anything from the larger Star Wars universe? This is sort of going back to that early question. Is there something you'd like to see in season two or that you hope they avoid? Uh, I mean, the the larger maybe political landscape, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Just it's, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, room for misstep and going in that locale. I think they, the show is maybe better served if they stay on the fringes here where they have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're in such like a, uh, an untapped time period in star Wars here in terms of story. And mm-hmm. they really have, I, I like that they have a lot of, a lot of free reign to make stuff up for lack of a better word, just to kind of, I feel like it's more to the show's advantage. They're not really pigeonholed into, you know, having to, squeeze this in in between like you know two very flushed out time periods that kind of thing part of me like i mean you'd have to do a little bit of like a little bit of de-aging on them but if we could get billy t williams in here yeah just just for a dangerous passion uh reprisal <laughs> with the, billy d and carl weathers on the screen at the same time i mean the internet's been clamoring for it for decades now scott <laughs> decades home of the original <laughs> i love dvd yes um, um, I mean, there, there's tons of tropes I'd love to see them like do in some of like their their bottleneck episode. I'm sorry, their standalone episodes. Oh, like that that classic one where like you need thing A, but you know you have to go get thing B, and person who has thing B wants thing C, so you have to go like you know down the 
whatever that whatever that the proper name of that trope is. I think that'd be like a fun thing for Mando to have to do. Like a lot of room to just kind of you know maybe quit kits on you know some places that you know you maybe don't want to dive into for like a full episode that kind of thing. Somewhere in my rusty innards is the name of the thing that Nog and Jake were trying to get in, like, season one of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, uh, that's, I, uh, that's, 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 that's maybe my most, my most, uh, cherished, like, something example of that trope. Stem bolts. Self-sealing stem bolts. Something I would love to see at that, that, in that direction of this question, a kind of episode. And maybe this is because I've got, having watched Picard, you know, a month ago and watching Westworld right now, I think it would be really cool to come across a planet that is totally droid populated. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Or one, I mean, just to to really flesh it out, like, what if it was, like, sort of controlled by, like, a big AI kind of machine? That's that's not Star Wars-y at all. But when you have this sort of, like, bottle episode Monster of the Week kind of format, Hmm. why not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it could be full of, like, you know, old droids from the clone wars or something like that yeah 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 yeah. like they've done this with the clones in in rebels i think and like you Mm -hmm. know what do these clones do when they go when you're a retired clone what do you do go to a farm upstate scott (laughs) (laughs) that's where palpatine sent all the jedi (laughs) (laughs) i have plenty of room to run around and play and yeah whatever whatever the rest of the thing is that's practically where I live, Chris. Um, <laughs> I think that would be fun, especially given Mando's... I mean, it's, you can't just give up droid racism that fast, you know? Like, it's still got to be deep in his bones. So it, maybe he would be even a fun character to explore. Like, what... I mean, I, I'm just making shit up. What if it turned out that, like, the whole idea of, like, a droid-run civilization was, like, illegal? You know, like, we can't be letting droids do that, and they mm. run across one, and... And they've got to, like, what do we do about this? That, I don't know. Like, that gets more to the kind of morality play kind of TV, like TNG kind of stuff. But I think that could be a lot of fun. If I just had to make, if I had to pitch something, that would be it. You get some of some of the stupider stuff. You have, like, some conflated reason where someone has to pretend to be Mando since in the armor or something like that. Or, I don't know. There's there's tons of tons of fun crap like that. You could have, have a lot of, uh, you could shoehorn into, you know, standalone episodes here and there. I'd like to thank Computer Music All-Stars for the music that we use on this podcast. And I'd like to ask that all of our listeners, I know this is a big ask, but log in to Apple Podcasts and please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. It would be a big help to us. Uh, You can email us at weservedroids at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to call us with your Mando Season 2 episode pitch, you can leave us a voicemail at 512-WE-SERVE. That's 512-937-3783. And who knows, maybe you'll make it onto the show. You can follow us on Twitter at we Serve Droids, and you can look for the Facebook group. Among many things that make Facebook uh, evil... Uh, one of the most minor reasons <laughs> is that it's very hard to distinguish between the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Uh, so there's both. I forget why there's both, but there's both. You want to look for the group, and you can uh, interact with uh, with a few listeners there and have a lot of fun on that group. 
I thought you were gonna say we contribute in our small way to making Facebook more evil, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, we actually did because we ran ads on Facebook one time. <laughs> so we didn't true. financially contribute to their their, their wickedness. Uh, we're gonna get drug in front of a tribunal one day for that, I think. <laughs> Deservedly so. Yeah. <laughs> but until we're before the hog, um, <laughs> hog Hague, how do you say that? I, uh, I've heard it both ways, honestly, from like reputable news sources. So I'm convinced no one really knows. All right. <laughs> Until then, we will. Uh, I acted like we have some sort of catchphrase. <laughs> what am I trying we'll, to say? We'll, we'll serve you next time. <laughs> <laughs> So another character I'd actually we'd like to see them maybe take to live action possibly would be uh, I think Thrawn would be really cool. Don't call me for castings. I don't I don't want to I don't want any part in that. <laughs> Whoever plays Doctor Manhattan can play Thrawn. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got the got the blue cred. That's all you need. That's all you need. Or uh, Tobias from Arrested Development. <laughs> I'm afraid I just blew myself. When you said Mo in the bar, I just kept thinking of like there's there's like a bounty hunter that's like bounty hunter Gil. It's like, oh Gil's gonna gonna get my bounty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fun. <laughs> old Gil's gonna freeze him in carbonite this time. No more sleeping under the interstate underpass for old Gil. <laughs> like Before Mando goes back to the ship, we get uh like a quick um funeral pyre scene or not pyre but like a little uh for um for quill mm-hmm. pour one out pour a libation to celebrate the yes. ending of our shared narrative <laughs> out for <laughs> quill <laughs> boy that's a mouthful mm-hmm. a li- a libation <laughs> top grade merchandise you won't find a better stem bolt in this sector you guys look like what do they look like jimmy Dorks. <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks.